Well, lovely to be at Highgrove for two services this morning. Fantastic. And um, Father God, as, we, as we're in this place, and whether we're here in the building or watching online, we want to pray that today we'd know the Holy Spirit leading us and blessing us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, I guess one of the things that, that I, I, I think is, is true about Matthew is that um, there are kind of five big blocks of, of teaching that may be a little bit representative of the, the, the Torah, the, the five books of the, that start the Bible, the, the books of the, the Law of Moses. And, and central to those is the Sermon on the Mount, this kind of great discourse of, um, of Jesus, which so many people for so many centuries have taken inspiration from. And we're going to actually read, I'm going to read with you um, the, just the, the section on, on prayer. Um, Starting at verse 5. I might just adapt it. I might throw in a few little bits that are not actually in the Bible, so watch out for those. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen, then your Father who's seen what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Instead, you pray for just a minute without hesitation, repetition, or deviation. <laughs> Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And when you fast... Do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father, who's unseen. Your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And as we reflect on these verses, there are just three things I want to talk about. I want to just talk a little bit about spiritual disciplines um, and second of all, particularly a little look at prayer and then third of all, a little look at, at fasting. And maybe three questions linked with each of those things that you could reflect on now or take away with you. So Matthew 6, I often call it a secret history with God and um, that's not my own invention. I'm sure lots of people have, have, have talked about it in that way, but it's Jesus speaking to a very publicly religious culture where you got kudos for how religious you looked. If you prayed eloquently and passionately and lengthily, uh, visibly, people thought, oh, what a holy man, what a holy woman, that's great. Or if you look as if you're uh, you know, abasing yourself through fasting and you're very visibly kind of carrying all those signs of, 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 of mourning and then, oh, oh he's, he's really, uh, really holy. Or, or if you 
give very ostentatiously. Like, you know, Jesus looked at, didn't he, at the, at the temple where the rich were putting their money into the treasury. Oh, look, that's, that's, aren't, they, aren't they holy? Jesus says, I want you to cultivate a heart towards God, not something that's very outward, that attracts that kind of human kudos. But do something that's secret and hidden. And the things that are particularly picked up on um, by Jesus in, in Matthew 6, actually solitude itself is a spiritual discipline, isn't it? Going to a secret place. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Fasting, giving to the poor. Maybe forgiving people in secret as well as linked here. Things that people do in secret that reflect their heart towards God. And that is the reward that we get from spiritual discipline. Now, in, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And I suppose that, that's really true, isn't it? Uh, and when we talk about a week of prayer and fasting, I mean, how many people look forward to fasting? If you do, it's a medical issue. You need to go and see a doctor. But, um, but honestly, for, for most of us, spiritual disciplines are, as they say, they are, they are disciplines, but they're for disciples, aren't they? If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I've signed up for a discipline. And what does a discipline do? What are the benefits? What are the rewards of spiritual disciplines? Why does Jesus say um, several times in this passage, uh, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you? What is the reward? I think that's my big question, actually. What do you think is the reward of prayer and fasting that Jesus promises? So any spoilers? Anyone want to shout out what they think the reward is? That's a great reward, isn't it? I, I, think, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the reward, really, of discipline is being able to increase your capacity in that area. So if I undergo the discipline of physical training, say, for instance, I want to be in a Bristol 10K, something like that, when I start, I have not got the capacity to run 10K. I just won't, won't be able to do it. But at my age, anyway, if you're a youngster, you probably can. But, but for me, I, I need to go through some discipline which will increase my capacity for running, both in terms of endurance and speed. If I, if I want to um, engage in something like music, I, I, I know I've, from time to time I've been to like a kind of classical concert or an opera, and I've sat next to someone who's really moved to tears by it, but I'm not. I'm waiting for it to finish. <laughs> And I haven't got the capacity to really... I, I need to go through the discipline of study, of, of um, understanding the form and the, the musicality, to be able to, to benefit from it, to increase my capacity to understand that. And actually, if I'm going to, to have the capacity to know more of God, then I need spiritual disciplines. Again, the writer of, Jesus, of, of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But afterwards, it le le yields a peaceful fruit. God disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. That's God's strategy for discipline is that he might share our life with us. And I think about my need to be house trained for heaven. House trained for God. I need the kind of discipline that a puppy would have coming to my house. I want a puppy to become more human, to be more like me, to be less feral and savage. And God wants me to be more like him less feral and savage, you know, <laughs> because he wants to share his home with me forever, his presence. And I need disciplines in order to do that. And there are a range of disciplines, but particularly going to think about the discipline of prayer.
So here we are going into prayer week, and Jesus, as the person of prayer that he is, is clearly some, some the disciples look at Jesus and say, we'd love to be able to pray like you. We'd love to have the capacity that you have to know God and to hear from God and to, how do, you, how do we pray? And, and that's what they say to him in Luke's gospel. In Matthew's gospel here, Jesus, in, in his teaching, gives us another form of the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's often prayed liturgically, isn't it? Um, when, when Matt um, Crossman lived with me at ADH in our house, and we house trained him for Anna, um, <laughs> Matt, Matt instituted for us as a household um, beginning of the week by reading a psalm and, and praying about it. And then Matt said, well, at the end, we're going we're gonna to say the Lord's Prayer. We'll say it traditionally. We trespasses and all that kind of thing. But, but we still do that, Matt. Every, every Monday, we, we, we pray the Lord's Prayer. But of course, it, it's, it is a great model prayer in itself. But anything that's done repetitively can lose some of its impact. And maybe the Lord's Prayer is best unpacked phrase by phrase. And you can spend a good hour doing that. Last time we had a, a 24-7 prayer room at Woody's, I, had a, a, I took a sort of early morning slot, sort of three in the morning, which I'd not done before. I found it great, actually. But I, I just simply went through the Lord's Prayer and unpacked it phrase by phrase. And I found I had a real encounter with God. And it began with just the first phrase, our Father. Uh, and we know that, that for Jesus, that was his revolutionary word for God was Abba. And you don't have to be a profound theologian. You don't have to meditate on the unnameable name of God. You know, it's the first word a child says is Abba, Abba, Abba. It's a, it's a baby word, really, but it's a word of intimacy. And the Lord's Prayer begins with intimacy with God. And, and that's what God is looking for. He's looking to want to share his holiness with us, want to share his relationship, his heart with us. So he's our Abba. But he's not just our Abba, our Father, in heaven, there's something transcendent. The God who is with us is also the God who's above and beyond us and holds everything. And so when I pray, I'm kind of saying, Father, God, I just come to you today and I, I, I'm so grateful that you, you know me and you love me and that we can talk. But I also know that you're beyond me and I, I, I don't fully grasp you yet. You're, you're transcendent above all things. And and have the, the reassurance of knowing that you, you sympathise with my weaknesses and needs and yet the whole universe is in your hands and you have power and yours is a glory. And just taking a phrase like that, as we start to unpack it, it leads us into prayer, doesn't it? And, and, and to think about what it means, your name is holy. What it means for your distinctiveness to be known by you and what are your ways like? And... And for me, in that context, to think about God's holiness and my lack of holiness, actually, my distractibility, my double-mindedness, how I want to be holy and set apart from God so I can pray, Lord God, help me to have an undivided heart and show me where my heart is divided, where I need to be holy. You are the number one priority. I recognize God. I can't serve two masters. I can't serve God and money. You know? And we pray like that. Or your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I, I, I won't go through the whole Lord's Prayer, but of course when we pray the kingdom, we think about the rule of God, don't we? And we think, God, where is your kingdom 
working in the world, breaking into my life, into my community, into my nation, my city. But where am I longing for your kingdom to come more? And where your kingdom is, there's healing. So I pray for, for the sick. Well, I pray for that. I have a list of people in, in the church and my friends who are sick. And I want to pray, Lord God, when your kingdom comes fully, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more tears. And I want to pray for my friend who is sick right now. And I want to pray your kingdom would break into their lives. So I live before you now today. She's terminally ill. I don't know what her future is, but I want to pray, God, that for her, your kingdom would come. Your kingdom is about peace and righteousness. I pray she'd know your peace today. But Lord God, you know the treatment she's having, may it be efficacious in her life. But Lord, more than that, will you supernaturally work in our life? And I can pray like that for people that I know and, and love. I'm asking for the kingdom to come. And, and Jesus himself, of course, when he, he, he's at work, he's, he's seeing the kingdom happening. The kingdom is close at hand and it's demonstrated by things like healing and deliverance. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. But it's also about justice, isn't it? And we're looking at our world and the profound injustices and for the, the wars and the famines and the, 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 the human factors where people are not conformed to the image of God. We're saying, Lord, your kingdom come. Will you change hearts? Will you change minds? Will you release generosity? Will your spirit convict us? We want to see your kingdom come. And we want to see something more of your supernatural grace. So, there's a, you know, it's easy to see how praying the Lord's Prayer could take an hour, can't it? And I, I guess one of the questions that's a little bit thrown up here is, is a tension question. Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, great, intimacy with God. I don't need to ask. Mother Teresa was asked um, famously, you know, what do you, how do you pray to God? What do you say to God? And she says, I listen. Well, what does God say to you? He listens. <laughs> and she went on to say, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. But there is that place of intimacy with God, which means we don't have to babble. We don't have to impress God with our flow of words. However, Luke 11 Ask it be given, seek you find. That's the that's where we find the Lord's Prayer again, isn't it? In Luke's Gospel, and, and Jesus is kind of telling us to ask. So I, I think there, yeah, it's it's great to ask God, but it's not in a kind of we're not trying to wear God out with our asking. That we are wanting to persevere with our asking, but it's done in the spirit of trust that He knows our needs, and yet when we present our needs. It's because we trust our relationship with him even more than his ability to provide for our needs. And, um, you know, honestly, in family, you don't need to, if you're a kid, you don't normally need to ask your mum for food because she wants to feed you. But she probably likes it when you, you ask and are grateful because it's about relationship and about appreciation and love. And, and it's the relational heart of God in our prayers. Who are we praying to? Well, we're praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're praying to the one who knows our needs but wants to partner with us and has to partner with him. So we, we talk to him about our needs. And in bringing them before God, sometimes he shows us our heart and what's behind that request. But more than that, we're seeking to be with him in prayer. And that perhaps leads us into the role of, 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 of fasting. 
the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, acknowledges tension. It acknowledges that the, what we call so often in this church, the now and not yet of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God is among us, and yet the kingdom of God is not fully among us. And actually that was a tension that the Jewish people themselves lived with at the time of Jesus. They live with, with the tension of being in their land and not in their land. They live with the tension of having Jerusalem and the temple, but yet somehow the temple was a bit deficient. It's the work of Herod, who's a kind of quasi-Jew in some ways. He's a kind of, it's a bit of a mixed thing, the temple. It's not, is it, does it really fulfill all that Solomon had? And the kingdom that was promised to David, are we really seeing that? Or we're under the, the rule and the oppression of the Romans. And, and for, the, for the Jewish people, they are still praying and calling out to God for deliverance, for a return from exile in some way. And for us, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, who have seen, um, uh, you know, in a sense, we've, we've, we've seen God at work. We, we, we know the power of resurrection. We know that death has been defeated. We know that Jesus is Lord. And yet even we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, as Paul writes in Romans, are groaning with creation. And the Spirit himself groans deeper than words, longing for something, longing for the the fullness of the kingdom, for the adoption of our bodies, for resurrection life, for the king to return, all, all that kind of stuff. And of course, we, we, we see that God is with us, and yet there's still things that are not God's will that are happening in our world today. So we're, we're living with this kind of tension. And my own feeling is that the fasting is about the not yet. Fasting throughout the Old Testament is a sign of mourning, really. It's a sign of humility in the face of tragedy and disaster. And it's a sign of, of grieving over what we don't yet have. And of course, fasting, in other words, abstinence from food, comes very naturally when we're grieving. It's, it's not unusual for people who are experiencing bereavement and grief in life to go off their food, to lose their appetite, to not want to eat. There's a very obvious synergy between fasting and mourning. And I, I guess for me, when I think about fasting, I think of John the Baptist, who I'd call the prophet of fasting. You know, he's an ascetic. He, he's kind of in the desert. He's in the wilderness. You know, when he does eat, it's locusts. <laughs> it's kind of not, not the, you know, and, and, and Jesus is asked, why, do you, why don't you fast? Why, why do your disciples not fast? Well, John's, John the Baptist's disciples ask that because John is a, a prophet who fasts. That's his lifestyle. And um, Jesus makes a comparison be, between himself. Who is, he says, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. You say, he's a demon. <laughs> Son of man comes to you eating and drinking. And he said, he's a friend of tax collectors and gluttons. You know, Jesus comes as a prophet of feasting. Because when Jesus is there, the kingdom of God is at hand. In a sense, the now has broken into the not yet. John is the one who's preparing the way of the Lord, who's looking for the breakthrough. He's, he's a not yet prophet. And of course his disciples fast, but Jesus says, how can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's there? This is the time to feast and to celebrate. And I don't know if that's, that's helpful to you in thinking about what and why, why and, and how you fast. But for me, fasting is about when I'm looking for breakthrough. Where I'm, I'm aware of the not yet when I'm asking God to break into where breakthrough needs to happen. And I might fast for someone who's got cancer. 
I might fast while I'm aware that as a church we seem to have lost some of the imminence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we're longing for your presence. And in a sense, the very mood of, of, of fasting helps me um, align my whole being with what I ought to be feeling, which is an appropriate level of grief for what is not yet, alongside a hope that as we call out to God, then he is the God of the breakthrough. He's the God who sees our sufferings and hears our prayers and wants to break into those situations. So I guess as we go into a week of prayer and fasting, it might be you're, you're saying, what breakthrough am I looking for in my life now? Are there areas of grief where I feel defeated? How can fasting help me partner with the Holy Spirit in really seeking breakthrough? So I'm going to pray as, as I finish and, and pray that for each of us, this prayer week, we'd be able to just to allow God to bring some of his discipline into our life, that would increase our capacity for him, that we would as a, as a community, as individuals, learn how to pray a little bit more and have those ability to bring before God the longings and desires of our heart, but also seek his presence. And that we see breakthrough where we're longing for it. Father God, we want to covenant ourselves now to be a praying people, to say, Lord God, your kingdom come. At Highgrove, your kingdom come in sea mills, your kingdom come in my life, your will be done here in this bit of earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.